Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Hyacinth, a producer based in Portland, Oregon, whose output ranges from lo-fi beats to ambient tape loops, but always with this really distinctive warmth and coherence. There's something about Hyacinth sound where it sounds drenched in, I don't know, syrup? It feels like light is refracting through it. You get a lot of beats being slowed right down. You get tape warble pressing into the sides of guitars and synthesizers. The sense of spectral details tucked right at the back. Uh, the beats in particular, I mean, some of Hyacinth's music has been some of the most affecting stuff I've heard in the last couple of years. Often I find the beats get stuck in my head for days. I mean, they always have the same structure. They fade up and then they embark on this loop and then they fade out. And obviously you're left with that infinite repeat in your head when something sticks. Also, they made a collaboration record with Aidan Baker recently, which we talk about in this interview too, which is beautiful. And again, like the beat-based stuff, has this sense of residing outside of time. The kind of sense that it just fades up in the middle of something and fades out, but really it just resonates eternally. Uh, Hip-hop looms large in Hyacinth's life. I loved talking about these three records. Uh, I felt like as well they provide a real insight into what Hyacinth is pulling from, at least in part. So this one was loads of fun. Uh, If you're enjoying Crucial Listening, you can support it over at ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening where you can pay monthly or one-off any amount you please. And if you're just listening and enjoying, obviously that's wonderful too. Thank you so much. Okay, without any further delay, this is Hyacinth on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Thank you, Jack. Uh, welcome. <laughs> I almost said welcome back. Uh, <laughs> hello back to you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, you're here to talk about three important albums that you've picked. Um, before we get to those, I want to ask a bit about your music, because there's so much of it, and uh, I adore so much of it as well. So one thing we've been talking about in the past few months is uh, your beat tapes and the progression of those. Like you sent a voice note a little while back that kind of talked about the origins of your beat tapes. I think it was one in like 2019, right, that you started out with. So, um, yeah, I wondered if you could tell me a bit, firstly, about getting into making beat tapes and just kind of outline as well how they've changed over the years because you know at least from my side kind of listening through the various ones that have that you've made over the past like say four or five years it definitely feels like there's been a progression how you're approaching them so yeah i'd love to know more about that yeah well uh okay so firstly my very first cassette that i ever purchased was dr dre's the chronic when it very first came out because i'm 41 uh-huh. And I grew up in Southern California. And at that time, like, you could not escape that record. It was everywhere. And that really was kind of like the birth of my love of hip hop. 
and it has remained my favorite genre of music. I have followed it very passionately from bigger names all the way down to like regional stars and then down to like smaller people. Anyway, fast forwarding to about 2012, mm. I discover Robert Terman and that kind of like flipped my head about loops. So I started doing loop stuff, but I was also like obsessively listening to Mad Lib and every single project that he did, like he is like the GOAT, right? Like greatest of all time <laughs> producer. So like, yeah. So I always was listening to like Mad Lib and Knowledge and Dilla and kind of that like galaxy of people. So that was always kind of at the forefront of things. But I was also trying to make these kind of like weirder, woolier loop noise things at the same time. Mm. And so like the very first beat tape, if you will, came out in like 2013. All right. And uh, it was just <laughs> it was just me like finding tapes and records and like sampling them and making loops. But it was like weird music concrete and like indian ragas and shit so it wasn't like huh. hip-hop per se or beat per se but it was like with the intention that it was kind of a beat and then you know i kind of went full robert terman and started doing weirder noisier stuff and then fast forward to 2018 and not to like get too much into the album conversation but some rap songs came out and me and about three billion other people on this earth were like instantly changed upon the first listen <laughs> and so then <laughs> so then i thought oh this is uh what i want to start doing again like this is totally my lane and so then i just started focusing on doing more beat stuff and um yeah so that's been <laughs> Sorry for the long story, but that's kind of the, the genesis of all that. I seem to remember you telling a story about one that you tried. I think it was goodbye to all that back in like 2019 where you had a conversation with a friend where they were like, you can do better than this. What do you yeah. remember of that time? Okay, so yeah, that was like right when I was getting really, really obsessed with Mike and... Uh, like the whole slums collective. And so I was still trying to do like the weirder, noisier stuff that I had been doing for the last couple of years, but then like make it more beat stuff. And I sent it to my buddy, Evan, uh, shout out Evan Crankshaw, uh, literally the greatest living artist right now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's actually going to listen to this, but I hope that he does because his artwork is amazing. He does uh, a bunch of like work for Discrepant and um, oh, cool. Anyway, he's been like he's been my friend for the last twelve years now, and he is basically the only person whose opinion matters to me. So I sent him the tape, and his response was, "This is kind of garbage. I think that you could do a lot better than this." <laughs> And if it had been from anybody else, I probably would have been, like, really offended. And, of course, my feelings were hurt, like, a little bit. Like, the ego was bruised. But I was like, you know what? He's right. Let me go back to the drawing table. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did. And he said, this is so much better. And so once it got the seal wow. of Evan approval, you know, <laughs> off it went. That's epic. One other observation I want to make about your work is that it feels to me like you work very quickly and you're capable of producing some of the most rich and wonderful sounding stuff super rapidly. I mean, can you tell me a bit about your process when you're going in to make, say, something like a, a beat tape? Like, Where do you start? I know that's going to sound really stupid, man. And everyone says it, but drums, like drums are such like a crucial part. Mm. Like music doesn't move without drums mm -hmm. i know and as like an ambient noise musician that doesn't make a whole lot of sense saying but like you know growing up in the in the 80s when poptimism i mean 
poptimism now too like it's pop is always going to be king of music but the drums are what makes you move and want to dance and like if Mm. music doesn't make you want to dance then what is the point i know that sounds corny but like it's so true yeah yeah 100 percent um so you what so you just looking for loops or samples that have beats that you really connect with yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, you know, I look for a drum part, and then, uh, you know, not to not to snitch, but sometimes like I'll sample a lot of other pieces. So like sometimes the song will be four to five different loops, just kind of like layered together, and then, you know, obviously I'll slow down and throw it through a bunch of effects. Sometimes it's a beat that I make and I'll like add some stuff with the the gear that I have here. So, you know, and it's all like kind of a mix of soft gear and hard gear. Mm. I'm not a purist. I think that honestly, like whatever you have to make music with and whatever works best for you, that's awesome. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. And is there any particular bits of gear at the moment that you're really jazzed about? Yeah, man, actually. So uh, I follow this guy on Twitter, Jetski. Maybe you've seen him around. He talks a lot about Koala. He actually just put out an album made on Koala out on Blorpus, which is like a Haozu Mountain offshoot. Oh, cool. Or an Orange Milk offshoot, regardless. So Koala is like a $5 sampler that you can get for your phone. I'm I feel like I sent you a link. Yeah, Maybe I yeah, didn't. Yeah. If I yeah, didn't, did. I feel like a terrible friend. <laughs> but yeah, so Koala is amazing, man. Like, literally at work, I'll just record sounds. And as I'm on the phone with people, like, I'm just working on stuff. And it's a lot of fun. Awesome. That's great. So yeah, that's <laughs> literally the most exciting piece of gear that I have <laughs> is a $5 app for my phone. That's so good. Yeah, but like honestly, that just goes to the point of like it's not about the gear, it's about the person and like the intent. So, you know, sound off. <laughs> do, you know, <laughs> do your thing then. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't feel like that you kind of sit or stew or overwork the music that you do. Like do you feel like you're someone who's quite good at going like, right, that's the thing. That's done that's finished i'm putting that out feels like you have a good reflex for that yeah so i read uh, an interview with dim dyke stare in like 2013 and uh i don't remember which one of them said it but one of them said i never do a second edit like if it's good enough the first time just let it go and so that has been like my (laughs) the driving ethos behind me this entire time also in that same interview he said, why let somebody else, like, I mean, no no offense to all my friends who, like, produce and master and all that. I know that you also do, so this is in no way a slight against you. But, like, <laughs> he also said, why let somebody produce your record when, like, you have a particular sound in your head? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I think that... It, if you are working with a person in tandem that gets the vision, like you can do wonderful things, but also I guess maybe this is more for like starting out artists, like develop your sound, figure out what you're trying to go for. And then like, you'll get there. Yeah. I don't know who I'm giving this. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like a motivational speech. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, your, your stuff to me sounds just, I can hear that presence within it where it all feels super glued together and very singular and coherent. So when you say, like, or at least Demdike's there, we're like, we don't do a second edit. Do you do any form of kind of mastering on your stuff? Like, do you bounce it down and then make tweaks? Or do you kind of do everything in the mix? Uh, So I, I use this program called DJ. Also, again, another self-snitch. So I, I use DJ <laughs> to do, like all the like work and then i just use GarageBand for the editing and literally all that i do is i add a fade in a fade out and then i do the lightest of like volume reduction so that way it's not like blaring in the red i Uh don't do any eqing like nope 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 i just let that shit slap (laughs) that's so good (laughs) (laughs) which is probably not again 
not the best of advice to other artists, but you know, it's a sound that like I've developed over the last decade now. And I feel like regardless of what thing you are hearing from me, there's always like that overarching aesthetic. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Um I mean, you did a record with Aidan Baker very recently, which I was so delighted to hear. Uh, I'm going to pronounce the title Paraplui. Um, which yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, you know, you to be honest with you, I have no idea. That was, a <laughs> hit. That was his idea for the title. Uh, and I was like, yeah, you're Aidan Baker, whatever you want, man. <laughs> so, yeah, tell me a bit about the process. Of, I mean, a bit about the process for that one, but also... Um, what did you like about working with Aiden? Yeah, okay. So firstly, I have to say thank you to you because so I see this email pop up from Bandcamp and it says uh, Hard Return releases Aiden Baker. And I was like, oh shit, my boy released an Aiden Baker record? Like, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. That is amazing. Like, of course. So I like wrote you immediately and I was like, damn, that's huge. It's it's the god Aiden Baker, right? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> so then I thought, well, okay. So if if Aiden can work with Jack, you know, like then maybe he'd work with me. So mm-hmm. then I reached out to Aiden, and he's like one of the nicest people ever. Like, mm-hmm. genuinely, such a nice person, and like. Music is such a competition, right? And there's always this kind of drive between all of us to kind of hold things secret because it helps us, like, with our level of success. And he is 1,000% not that way at all. Like, very... Like, I have the weirdest questions to ask him because, you know, as a working musician, like, I respect him. And so he was just... Yeah. Anyway, he... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm less about him as a person because he's a really nice guy and more about the music. So I so I wrote <laughs> so I wrote these pieces and I sent them to him and then he added like guitar and textural electronics on top. And honestly, I was really inspired by him. So that music was like inspired by early Nadia. Uh, like early Tim Hecker, Mirage's era Hecker, mm-hmm. like alien, early cranky kind of stuff. And so that was like the vibe that I was going for. And so to have him work on that project was just kind of like full circle. It was amazing. And so, you know, Thomas uh, Ragsdale put it out on Frosty and he did a really nice job with that. And yeah, I'm just glad that it's out there in the world and that I was able to collab with, honestly, someone whose music I've been listening to for almost 20 years now. Like, it's mm-hmm. wild. So, yeah, man. So, thank you. Like, genuinely, thank you, Jack. Oh, sure. Uh, you, without you, that project would have never happened. Oh, shucks. Uh, it's wicked. People should listen to it. I will put a link in the show notes. Um, in fact, your Bandcamp, because it's on there, thank right, you, as man. well. So, um yeah people do please dive in there's also like a wicked uh beat tape that while we're recording this came out i think in the last few days our hearts were gardens which is such a cracker cool ryan well we're gonna talk about your important records now but one question i like to ask at this point is how you thought about the word important when picking your list of three records so was there a way that you understood important in order to come up with the records that you did so let me tell you man picking three is impossible (laughs) yeah and important (laughs) was impossible to define because it's like yeah were they three as a music listener were they three as an artist were they three as an artist for me like a decade ago you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. so there are so many different things that were kind of at play with that but i feel like i boiled them down to an essential three that kind of overlaps between listener and artist at the same time so important to you as someone who listens to music and as someone who makes it in terms of your trajectory for both of those yeah Yeah. cool yeah i've been uh obsessed with music ever since i was a kid like it is literally 
my first passion in life. And so not even just like making music, just like listening to music. It is such a transformative thing. And yeah, anyway. Let's go for your first important record. Which one do you want to talk about first? Okay, so I thought about this too. Uh, I would like to go in chronological order, please. So <laughs> first off, uh, DJ Screw, all screwed up, big time Wally too. Oh my God, man. So uh, not to get to like TMI, but since I have 15 minutes per album, I'm going to TMI. So <laughs> <laughs> senior year of high school is like 1999, right? And so... I'm living in Orange County. I'm very involved in hardcore and like punk and listening to all that stuff. But like secretly, I'm listening to hip hop because all my friends are a bunch of fucking dweeby white dorks who like wear bandanas and beat each other up over like these weird straight edge morals and ethics. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So I realized I need to leave. So as soon as I turn 18 in 2000, I start moving around the country. And in 2003, I end up in Yuma, Arizona. Also in 1999, right about the time of me starting to think about me wanting to leave because I was kind of entrenched in this like straight edge thing, I tried coding for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge game changer for me too probably also not good because then that led to a 22-year addiction to opiates, but that's neither here nor there. So (laughs) this is all leading to a point. So I end up in Arizona in 2003. I'm living with two people who are from Houston. Rebecca, her uh, brother, comes to visit from Houston, and we're at a house party I'm standing outside and I hear the slowed down version of Phil Collins in the air tonight. And I'm smoking a clove and I'm like rolling on codeine and three soma. And so I can't tell if the record is slow because (laughs) I'm slow inside right now or because the music (laughs) itself is slow. So I turn to her brother and I ask him, what the fuck is this? And he says, oh, man, this is DJ Screw. He's huge in Houston. He just died a couple of years ago. Like, everyone in Houston knows who Screw is. So I steal three of his CDs that same night. And, <laughs> and, and he never knew. So sorry to the guy whose name I forget. But those three CDs, like, literally stayed with me the entire time until I myself moved to Texas in like 2007 and then was able to upgrade these terribly burned CDRs into like actual tapes. When I hear that like album, it totally changes everything for me because the production, and I know that DJ Screw is probably like the most overused example for like experimental people to be like oh man dj screw but i also i don't want to be like i was here first but in 2003 like i was here first (laughs) (laughs) like i was looking at his wikipedia page (laughs) and I was looking at his Wikipedia page and it said like Balaam Macab. And that's the weirdest thing to have listed on his Wikipedia page. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there are no like black artists who are listed as like similar to him. And I think that's wild because without Screw, there would have been like no ASAP crew. There would have been no Raider clan. Like, he gave birth to modern hip-hop like without him mm. there would not be the sound that there is today mm. like 1000 percent. like he is so influential even for the people who have never heard him before he has influenced all your favorite artists so you found it on that night at the house party <laughs> yeah uh, so you, I found him on- <laughs> yes, so you I took those records with you mm-hmm. uh when you think of your memories getting acquainted with those albums now that they're in your possession 
what kind of memories, places, experiences like come to mind when you think about your time listening to these albums after that point? Yeah, so in 2003, I'm 21. So between the year, like, 21 and 25, I moved to, like, four or five different states. And I was riding the Greyhound. I was hitchhiking. I was, like, riding trains. And so I would just, like, shoplift batteries for this janky CD Walkman that I had stolen. And, um, like, I would just be all, like, that's all I listened to because those were the only CDs that I had, you know? Um. And so... Uh, like when I listen back to DJ Screw, like it takes me back to my 20s and it's very evocative of like, you know, the one car ride that I had with this guy in Kansas or like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I love when music is able to take you to those places. And you mentioned that these records are important in terms of your listening and also you as someone who makes music as well. So tell me a bit, I know it's always tricky to kind of like draw these straight lines and define these things, but for you as someone who made music, what did this record do for you? Uh, I mean, I, I slow everything down. <laughs> like, I, like literally everything. If anyone sends me something like, oh, hey, Ryan, you want me to re- you can you remix this for me? I'm like, yeah, man, send me the stems. So all I do is I st- like I slam the stems in a DJ. I'll like slow them down to varying levels and then just kind of make like this mess and be like, here you go. Here's this <laughs> slow down morass of noise for you. <laughs> but usually like I'll try to shape it so it sounds like in an interesting way, but honestly slow down music regardless of what it is is beautiful like slow down gamelan is Mm. one of the most gorgeous things ever uh shout out to the guy in seattle who in like 2012 when i very first went to a stupid old record store where he overcharged for records i'm not going to give out the name of his record store because he didn't deserve that but anyway so he told me in 2012 i went to his record store and he told me oh yeah man back in like the late 80s we would dj like bird songs that we would slow down and we would play like you know ambient stuff or beat stuff on top of it and i was like oh word and i stole that from him too so (laughs) (laughs) shout out shout out that guy nice nice you got your money's worth again maybe this is hard to define and you've kind of pointed at this already so maybe we've already covered it but why why does slowing stuff down connect with you do you think you know, I don't want to sound like pretentious and start getting into a whole oh, the world is very frantic and slowed down music kind of makes time seem like it stands still. I think honestly, it's because I've had an addiction to opiates for 22 years. Uh-huh. And it's just kind of what like my whole general aesthetic and vibe is, is just kind of a slow, introverted turtle. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I'm just a hermit, man. And so, like, honestly, I don't want to, like, TMI you or anything about it. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Just slow down music is, is really beautiful. It just gives it kind of, like, more of an otherworldly effect. And DJ Screw's done, like, tons of mixtapes. So many. So how much have you dived into DJ Screw's stuff outside of those oh my god records he has like had. 360 tapes or something like yeah, that yeah and i think i've heard like a hundred 150 of them oh wow yeah okay, fair. yeah 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 so <laughs> when i was living in texas again i felt like i was in the state of like of the guy of the god uh mm. and so that's all i listened to for the first like two years i lived there was dj screw tapes because there were so many and i felt like to really like absorb that sound i needed to imbibe more you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. um yeah i feel like this has become a lot more about me and less about dj screw and that's kind of a shame because dj screw like people 
people really do need to listen to him and they really do need to listen to this album. And I know that it's probably like the biggest album of his as far as like popularity, but there is a reason why. Like the song My Mind Went Blank is one of the best songs. Like the synth line on that is absolutely gorgeous. And the way that he is able to do the production, even on the albums that aren't just remixes of like other people's songs, his production skill is insane. Mm. The fact that he was like, it could have been a professional piano player, like in an orchestra is crazy. Like, I feel like that's also not to go off on a side tangent here and let me know if I'm running too long in this, like, in my 15-minute window for this album. But I do feel like, especially with Southern hip-hop, the church is so instrumental in, like, giving birth to the producers because a lot of them do go to church and a lot of them do play in, like, the church band and they learn piano or organ. And so then that just kind of lends itself to, like, like lots and lots of just really talented producers coming out of the South, Mm. especially out of Texas, which I feel like is a very underrepresented area of American hip hop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't realize, so this, I've not dived into DJ screw like at all, but from what I was gathering, like obviously the stuff that he was remixing was that's what gets the primary focus but so i didn't realize that there was like a lot of his own homegrown production on it as well is that something that kind of came more to the fore later or is it present in like the earlier stuff too it's present in the earlier stuff too um and in in the middle stuff i don't know if he was producing towards end because i think that he was just making a lot more off of the remixes uh-huh. So I mean I don't I don't know to be honest with you I know that there was a book that just came out uh, and because I'm poor I can't really afford to buy it but I am definitely excited once I have some money for it so uh-huh. yeah I'm right there with you man honestly is there anything else you want to like say about this record before we go to the uh, I know that I talked a lot about myself and probably said a lot of things that people didn't need to know about me. But uh, you would be a fool not to go on to Spotify or YouTube or whatever your choice of streaming service is, you know, and listen to this album immediately. Let's go to your second important album. Uh, yeah, which one should we go for now? Second uh, important album is Earl Sweatshirts. I don't like shit. I don't go outside. A, the title, that's my life. I don't like shit. I don't go outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, And then also, his production. Did you listen to the snare on Fawcett? I did. Yeah, I had a. Uh, what do you uh, think about that, man? So I was listening to it today again, and then something came into my head that the end of the last track is that like a slowed down version of the beat that then comes in on Fawcett? Ooh, you know, I would have to listen again. It could very well be because it's like uh, a um, it's like a the beat before is like a uh, like a weird crusty hand clap, and then it feels like everything just gets suddenly pitched up, and it's this like crunch this like real crunchy snare on faucet yeah tell me about tell me about your relationship with that snare (laughs) okay so i i i like many other people fell in love with odd future when they very first came out i think that i heard yonkers that was probably like my first introduction like yeah so many other people and i was like oh yeah this song is nuts so then you know earls came out and that was even more crazy but 
there was just something about like the way that Earl rapped. You could tell that he was going to go do things. Mm. And then, you know, he got sent away and the whole thing and the free Earl and yada, yada, yada. And then Doris came out and that was a good album. That was a really good album, like a great album. But then I don't like shit came out. And that was a game changer, I think, because he was hanging out with Sam I Am and Knowledge. And so he was like working on his own production. His production on the album is beautiful. It's mm. really claustrophobic and very insular. And like, if any music could sound like that title, it is that. One song that kind of throws me off, and I had to think about this as I was like revisiting the album this week, is Off Top. It's the middle song, and it kind of like demarcates the front half from yeah. the back half of the album. You know what I mean? And like the back half of the album is a little bit more poppy, which isn't a, a bad thing at all. I think those songs are great. But I mean, like Mantra. And then Fawcett, the songs are the two best songs in the album. Uh -huh. Oh, and then Grief. Those yeah. three songs just like in a row. That wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah. It's funny. I was looking at a lot of people saying recently it came up on Twitter, people sharing their like top 10 Earl songs. And Grief was up there a lot. Um, which in principle seems... I mean, it's such an A song, but it's like a very grayscale ambient kind of droning pulse and then this really splashy sloppy drum sound kind of blows my mind that it has the posterity that it does given that it's not something that protrudes instantly as like oh wow you know but it's one that feels like it really just um yeah sinks in and clearly stays there well, I think the thing too, you know, and not trying to take away at all from like the New York scene, because, you know, Griselda and Backwoods, like all those guys have been doing their thing for a long, long time too. Like, I think the first Rock Marciano album maybe came out like 08 or 07. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So I feel like when I Don't Like Shit came out, it's because Earl is such a huge star because of the odd future thing mm -hmm. uh, people were like oh this is a game-changing album and even though there may have been other things that sounded like it at the time it, they weren't as big and so you know that album got the most shine kind of like when some rap songs came out like mm. other things at that time were sounding just very similar to that, but because Earl Sweatshirt kind of shines a light on the thing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the, like the, the drum sounds are probably my favorite thing about the album. And again, kind of just circles back to what I was saying in the beginning, which is the drums are literally the most important part of any song. Yeah. You feel because, that with this record. Yeah. Like it's, not only is it like moving the song forward, but it adds like this really like beautiful textural dissonance to the beats. Yeah, there's so much play with, and I guess we'll talk about this more with the third record as well. But the kind of like uh, the ambiguity of whether or not something could even be classed as percussion. It, it some stuff really slips almost out of that zone altogether, um, sort of refuting its role, which is very cool. Um, I mean, you've mentioned, actually, I, I think you mentioned when you wrote to me that this, or Earl, rather generally, changed the way that you wanted your albums to sound. Could you tell me about what it was that you wanted to kind of take from Earl and apply to what you were doing? That snare sound, man. <laughs> you had to boil it down to something so simple, but like, okay, so Earl Sweatshirt is probably like the top three favorite artists. I was thinking about this on uh, a walk that I had yesterday as I, was, as I was listening to the album, trying to get ready for this. Earl is to the new generation of rappers what MF Doom was to Earl and to like us. Mm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this, this album in particular is kind of the blueprint for a lot of stuff that came after 
some rap songs and the third album that we'll be talking about, like that world would not be able to exist if I don't like shit hadn't come out. Well, that might also be wrong too. Like those things could still have happened, but I don't think that they would have. What do you think of um I released a new record this year? Uh Void Dyer. Like do you still keep in touch with what I was doing? Yeah, oh yeah, always. I think it's cool, man. Um I think that there are definitely high points on the album. I think that it's kind of a throwback to like his earlier sound. Yeah. Uh, I think the Caliphate with Vince Staples is probably the best song off that album. Vince Staples is again another one of like my favorite rappers. So anytime that him and Earl get together is always like a, a treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but the things that I like the most about Earl are like the guest appearances that he's been doing. I think I sent you Real Hip Hop, the song that he did with uh mike and niante mm-hmm. and like his verse in that is good like i don't know man uh like i said i i think i like his guest appearances more than i like his albums now just because he's doing like weirder stuff and not things that you necessarily expect from him that being said, I was watching an interview with this rapper named Lucky, who's from Chicago. Maybe you're familiar with him. Anyway, he put out like one of the best albums of 2023. A- anyway, so I was watching an interview with him, and Earl produced a beat for him like three or four years ago. And so he was talking about that in the interview. And one of the things that he said in the interview was when he was talking to Earl, uh, he was talking to Earl about Denzel Curry. And Earl said, yeah, I used to fuck with that guy back in, like, 2014. Earl's connected to so many different scenes. And Mm -hmm. even though it may not sound like he is in that pocket, like, he really is in that pocket, though. And that's what I respect about him. And that's something that I've always thought about him versus, like, Tyler. Because three members of Odd Future kind of were, like, the breakout stars, right? You had Frank Ocean, who is humongous you have tyler and you have earl so frank kind of did his own thing you know uh tyler became best friends with asap rocky and then went on to become like a successful pop star and then you have earl who instead of kind of following similar paths he instead became especially weird and then put out an album where a loop is just a really annoying like accordion solo you know what i mean so like i have so much more respect for earl sweatshirt as an artist yeah yeah he went on the wonky trajectory have you seen him live once oh cool uh, once a few years ago it was amazing yeah yeah really good i saw him live last year actually it was really how was hot. it for you it was amazing i was very um, dehydrated and feeling super woozy um, it hit perfectly but the whole thing had just this wonderful like silly lethargy to it cracking a lot of jokes and then just played through just the most beautiful set it was it was really good um, when you uh, think about your memories when you like initially discovered this record and were getting into it Again, what kind of memories come to mind from your like initial acquaintance with this record? Yeah, so I was sitting in the kitchen of my ex the very first time I heard it. Because I was like, oh, it's Earl. I have to listen to it. It was like the first day that it had dropped. And so then Fawcett came on. And I listened to that song probably like 15 times in a row before i listened to like the rest of the album the way through just because again like hearing the production was kind of like hearing robert terman for the first time where it was just like oh things can sound like this and still sound cool like you could make things sound like a garbage can and still make it sound good yeah you know what i mean like 
it's very different coming from like a noise background because you know those records are kind of meant to be harsh and garbage and just cause you tinnitus and so um you know it's refreshing when you hear something like that and something in an innovative way anything more you want to add about El Sweatshirt and I don't like shit before we go on to the final record right um yes that uh the world's busiest music nerd I think that's how he calls himself uh huh uh he should stop reviewing hip-hop <laughs> <laughs> that's what i that's that's my closing statement for earl is that uh that bald guy is a weirdo and any review of any hip-hop album is always terrible oh interesting yeah you should watch the review that he has for the newest earl huh. i think you'll see why yeah fuck that bald guy okay great honestly not to go off on like a side tangent but anthony fantano is like one of my most hated guys and i've hated that dude for like a decade now (laughs) that's commitment yeah Um, yeah 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 wow just his approach to talking about music yeah i don't like the way that he reviews things i think that he has bad taste in music and one of my biggest criticisms, too, is, like, so he has this humongous platform, right? And especially mm-hmm. as music journalism becomes a smaller and smaller and smaller pool, he could shine a light on smaller artists, which would give them, like, a huge leg up. But, no, he is a part of the PR machine, which I understand he needs to make money, too. But it's just, like your pitchfork on YouTube, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Like, you were a Condé Nast, so I don't, I don't, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that's my, uh, that's my Anthony Fantano like I'm the only one pressing to grow up with. Still fuck you and whoever you show up with. You trying to see an image some steady your hands. Who you calling your man? But you thought he was solid. Really just sand washing away with the water. I'm a land mammal staying away from the altar. Shit changing the August. In the wake of that August, last autumn the leaves fell and I raked in a profit. Disobeying the doctor. The good guy prescribed fate never caught him. Chasing these rabbits, whole face. Let's go to your final important record. So final yeah. important record. Yeah. So if you give yes. me the name of it and then a bit about why it's important to you as well yeah man so warren my pen by mike like again like everyone else on this earth when i heard some rap songs i was like damn this is crazy i've never heard rap that sounds like this and so then i had to find out everybody that was involved in it and mike was one of those guys warren my pen dropped like two or three weeks after some rap songs did and it was just like perfect timing and uh it really just connected with me the production is so wild like i was listening to it again uh yesterday and the drums don't even make sense like on half <laughs> yeah. the songs yeah they really don't like they ping back and forth and he does this like weird panning thing and i'm like you know what man you do you king like whatever works for you like it it works within the song but like theoretically it should not work he is a magician he is a master level magician when it comes to music and like he creates these beautifully detailed sonic worlds and then uh wraps over them yeah and then as he's like wildly incisive and like emotionally devastating lines Mm. like that's how he starts out the album is just like the beginning line is say uh y'all say i look like my dad which is a problem for my mom because i look like her past like how how do you start an album out like that that's crazy Uh uh-huh 
And then also coming, like, so to then maybe make it a little bit about me as well. So, uh, you know, coming from a broken home, like, it's so true. I look like my dad, and that's a problem for my mom. It's been a problem. Like, it's something that she's said to me before. And, like, you know, it's something that you carry with you. And so to hear someone say it like that, it was just like, yeah, I, I have those same exact feelings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's for for someone that's, kind of shy and awkward and doesn't really have someone to talk to about things like that. I don't know. It's like uh, listening to a confessional. Like maybe I shouldn't be in the room with Mike hearing these words, but I'm, I'm glad that I am. So this was the first Mike record that you, you heard. Um, I guess you've heard uh, the others since. I mean, what was it that made this one the important one for you? Was it the fact that you heard it first or were there other... Are there other qualities within this record that you're like, this is the one that's definitely the important one for me? Uh, well, you know, I thought about that too. So yeah, this is the first album that I heard of his. So that kind of uh, gives like a special quality for me. And also there's just the lyrical content, you know, like a lot of it just really hits home for me. And uh, I don't know. I, I love the production on this album. Like, each album is a step forward for him as like a lyricist and mm. each album has like beautiful moments but this for me at least is like the most cohesive project and it's just i don't know it's just the one that, it's just the one that connects with me the most do you have a favorite track on it it's a tough one man that is mm. a very tough one uh probably grabba or rottweiler what is it about those songs that you reckon edges out? Uh, the drum patterns. Like, the drum patterns just wig me out. Like, as a listener, again, like, the beautifully detailed sonic adventures that you're going through with his production. But as, like, an artist, it's infuriating because I'm so <laughs> jealous. Like, I listen to him and I'm like, damn. How is he doing this? And when he made this album, he was like 19 or 20. Yeah. And I'm 41. And I'm like, fuck, how, <laughs> like, how am I ever going to compete against this guy? I can't. I just cannot. You know, it's one of those like, and not that I'm in competition with Mike, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there, there are certain projects that you hear as an artist where you're like, maybe I should just give up. <laughs> yeah what about you man like you i want to hear also what your like opinion is like you've heard these albums what do you think about them oh i love i'm i don't know i don't understand why i didn't um go back to this one before i did because i came into mike through weight of the world and i think i was right, trying it's so good i was trying to play something on uh, the Bandcamp app and then um, it kind of freaked out. It's not a very good app. And then started playing the first track, Love Supreme, off that record. And I was like, what, what am I listening to? And then that's how I discovered that record and bought it straight away. I just love, like, especially on that track, in fact. Like, again, that's another one where the drums or the beat just completely... It's very hard to comprehend. And yet, the way that he traces the path through it, through his rhythm when he's rapping is just unreal um yeah i think i think it's very interesting because you can hear it's it's interesting you say that this is the most that war in my pen is the most coherent one because i definitely hear that and then i hear uh a branching out occurring over the course of his discography i mean burning desire came out what like a month back and it's definitely the most broad and the most immediate thing that he's done what do you make of his trajectory like are you still in touch with his stuff and what do you make of you know a record like burning desire yeah no mike is like top five top five rappers of all time like, yeah nice he, he he is like the new face of like current hip-hop you know what i mean like i feel like anyone who is a double threat where they're a producer and a rapper they're kind of like doing the whole thing and like he has a very like well thought out aesthetic and like he's making moves at his own like 
I don't know. I, I like that about him. I like that he's not capitulating to anybody and he just seems like a genuinely good dude and that he is content mm. with where he's at. And like every year he just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And I absolutely love that for him. Like getting that Nautica deal earlier this year, that was crazy. Like good for him. You know, like there are some artists where you listen to them and you're like, I want them to stay small. I want them to be my secret. Mike is not one of those guys. I want everyone to hear Mike. Uh huh. Yeah. Like, I want everyone to have that transformative moment where they hear one of his beats for the first time and they don't quite understand what is happening but they know that it's amazing and that they're just going to like strap in for the ride. Uh -huh. Like he's not a guy that I'm just going to throw on one or two songs of, like I'm going to put the whole album on every time, every time. I should say as well, cause I think DJ black power has a lot to do with um, or has a role within the production as well. Right. I think he's listed on this one as executive producer, but I don't know where the kind of lines of responsibility are drawn, but it feels like, he's from at least what i can gather like a real component of like they, they those two seem very intimately fused when it comes to producing this stuff right uh yeah so uh you know i feel like dj black power like when mike is recording under that moniker oh is that mike as well yeah it's yeah it is mike. oh my so, gosh you blow up no i thought that was a completely separate person yeah, no, he's self-produced his album since from, like, from Jump. That's fuck. You've blown my mind there. I had no idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> I will say that, like, especially... So, he just released a new, new DJ Black Power album, like, a month or two ago. You should listen to that. It's so fucking sick. Um, there's, like, more experimentation. There's, like, more upbeat dance parts and, like... It's just a weirder album in general. And so I feel like the Black Power alias, when he's releasing albums just as that, he's able to get like into his bag and do like the other stuff. Mm. And then, like, as Mike, he's, I feel like maybe under Mike, he's trying to, now that he's making moves as an artist, he's like separating the two. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, for sure. The production is still wonderful on Burning Desire. Like, it's a beautiful album, but it's much more immediate, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It just, it is what it is. I still love the album. Like, I listen to it all the time. And Mike is one of my favorites. But, yeah, like I said, Warren My Pen just has a certain, like, a nostalgia tied to it. And there's just a certain, like, it's just a vibe. I find it in, like astonishing as well that he can do something that is as compelling and incomprehensible as the stuff on War of My Pen and also do stuff which is so hooky as well you know on like the new record and um, some of the stuff on Disco as well is just like very very immediate he has such a immense range like he can come, come at you from like obscurity or just really acute pop loops which is very cool yeah i i think that uh you know again not to tie it back to earl you know but i think that earl and mike are tied together very much at this point now so you know earl released a song earlier this year called making the bands maybe you heard it it's like nothing that you would expect him to rap on it's just like really kind of upbeat dreamy trap kind of thing mm. and it's amazing it's like one of my favorite things that he's ever done but i feel like both of them are making moves where they could pivot to bigger things if those avenues open up does that make sense what i'm saying 100 percent. yeah totally you know i don't think it's bad to like lean into the pop honestly like I understand as an artist, and this kind of ties into like what we've been talking about for a while now, and this is kind of what I'll, I'll wrap up because I know that I'm taking up your afternoon, <laughs> I'm so sorry, or your evening rather. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that when we talk about artists and their trajectory and you kind of look at first albums and things kind of become more pop oriented as albums like go further, it's because, you know, maybe when you're starting out, you're like, Ooh, I'm an artist and I'm doing yada, yada, yada. But then you get your first write-up or you get your first royalty check and you're like, oh, there's some ego and some money in this. And uh-huh. so then you, you know, you try to create your own vision of pop or you lean fully into it and you figure out what elements of pop work for you mm. and then, you know, just bastardize it. So... And I think I don't think it's a bad thing to want to make money as a as a working artist. I do think that you know going into the whole Spotify thing too. I don't think that Spotify is like a terrible thing because it allows a lot of people to hear things, and it's the main way that people listen to things. So either you have to figure out a way to game the system because it's the way that your audience is listening to you, or you just think. I'm not going to have an audience and I'm just going to make this for like me and my 10 buddies to listen to. And that's cool too. Like mm-hmm. I appreciate people who are just making music for their friends or just making music for themselves. Like that's awesome. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that kind of ties back into just them like going into these like popular lanes. It's just, you know, opening up avenues of streaming and money. That's really what it's about. I think it's about streaming and like syncing and licensing, which that's really like the, it's the future of music. And I think that uh, they're just aware of it. Mm. I wonder if this is something I think about as well. I wonder if you think what you think of this. Like I remember doing an interview with a band called Pelican or the guitarist from Pelican, Trevor, quite a few years back now, but on the back of them switching to much shorter songs they used to be you know they're like a post-metal band they used to do like these very slow 10 11 minute big songs like beautifully constructed things and then on their third record they went right down to like five minute tracks that hit a lot more immediately and i think they referred a lot to the live experience and the fact that getting those songs of a shorter duration like in front of people was so much more appetizing than logging out a big 10 minute thing it was just so much more satisfying to play i'm guessing as well that they got like a more immediate feedback from the room i wonder how much i guess it's tangential to that it's about kind of you know where the audience's energy is but yeah i wonder whether getting you know some of this stuff in a room and seeing what people move to and what feels exciting is another aspect of like what drives people you know, especially as they start playing to bigger rooms, right? Whether that has any influence too. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> tying tying this all back together into hip hop. So in in Houston and in uh, Atlanta, two of the th- like the big thing that you do is after you've mixed a song, you take it to a strip club. Right. Like immediately you like throw that onto a hard drive, like a thumb drive or whatever. You take it over to the DJ at the like strip club down the street. They throw it into it. If the girls dance and then like the crowd goes wild to your song and the girls are vibing on it, then you know you've got a hit. If no one is throwing money on the stage and no one is dancing to it, then you know that you've got to go back to the studio and like tweak your mix. Oh, so. That's so <laughs> like it's an I like I absolutely love that like it's the most immediate reaction to your music is like is it making people dance and that goes back to the original statement of music should make people dance it really should thirsty for the dollar and the fixture our whole brain really fixed love when it's time to get deeper I be digging dust I swear this shit is ugly Niggas switch the trust. Can't put shit above me. I let the niggas stuck. Don't be sitting above me. Just be hitting butt. What's in it for us? There's too many times I work with dang shit to rub. Being homie, smoking pony, that's a bit One more question for you, Ryan, which is about how you 
listen to music day to day and how you bring music into your life so what kind of formats do you gravitate towards where do you do your music listening where do you buy music let me into that a little bit so i have a really cheap mp3 player that i got off of uh, amazon <laughs> and i just use that oh, um I do use like a little bit of Spotify, you know, like while I'm cooking in the kitchen or whatever, but like some of I'm a temp worker and most of my gigs are like around my apartment. So uh, like I'll walk to the job sites and so I'll just take my MP3 player uh, and listen to albums. And it's been like really nice. Uh, It's a good way to take everything in and it allows for like the full listen uh and as far as like buying thing goes um <laughs> i i haven't bought music in a, a while uh-huh um soul seek honestly uh-huh like yeah. <laughs> i know that's such a terrible thing to say but like uh yeah i think that's like honestly a, a real answer for a lot of folks is like totally. i'm broke i want to listen to people's music and like I support people when I can, like, you know, when I have money, I'm going to go see Mike when he comes out in May and I'll buy his merch from him. Like, is he going to get money from my stream? Probably not. But is he going to get money from the show that he plays and I buy his t-shirt? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Like that, you know, like that's how I kind of justify that in my mind, at least. Ryan, this has been ace. Thank you so much. Like, I love talking about your music. I've, Obviously, we've been speaking for a, a while now, uh, and I've been busting with some questions about your process, which I can now tick off. And also, your three picks were awesome. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, very much. Sorry if I rambled too much or sound too stupid. <laughs> you were great. Um, and to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.